John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea, Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And in that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at that point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman left, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. What an incredible story that we have before us here in John chapter 4. We begin in, in verse 1 where it's therefore when the, Lord knew, when, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and, and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. There come a place where Jesus knew at that particular time I need to leave. Um, his popularity was growing and the Pharisees had heard that. 
And you'll hear him say over and over again in the Gospels, the time is not, has not yet come. Meaning, it's not time yet for me to go to the cross. And so at that particular time, he leaves and, and we're told here that he departed for Galilee. But verse 4 is interesting because it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Um, when you look at the route of, of going to, to that particular region, um, to Galilee, the area of, of going through Samaria is not the way that most Jews would ever have chosen to go. It would have been a, a route that the Jews would have tried to avoid of going through an area where the Samaritans were. But not the Lord. When it tells us here that he says that he needed to go through Samaria, he, noted, he needed to go to, through Samaria for a very specific reason. And that was that there was a woman that he was going to meet at this particular well. There was a reason why he was going. There was a reason why he was going to go and go through an area that nobody else would go through or that wasn't the most popular route to take because he had an appointment that this woman had no idea about as far as meeting her there at that well. I'm certain that there's many people here this morning who could say he's had that same kind of appointment with me before. The time in, in your life where it was that the Lord ministered to your heart in such a way that he brought you to salvation. I've heard the testimonies of, of so many different people here at the church. And at, at midweek over the next five weeks, one of the things I asked Pastor Matt to do is let's have, let's have some people just pick some people or volunteer just to give a short testimony of how God saved them. Just to, get to, just to see the incredible work that God did in different individuals' lives. For, for some of you, you're, you're in your car and just driving. For others, you're maybe at a harvest crusade. Or for others, maybe it was a Billy Graham crusade. Or for others, it was in your bed, it, you know, as you laid there at night thinking. For other people, it was as the gospel was proclaimed to you here in this church. For some, it may have been as a grandmother or a grandfather proclaimed the gospel to you or a parent proclaimed the gospel to you. For some of you, it may have been a time of just total despair. I mean, you, you just, you, you had nowhere else to go. And it was at that point that the Lord so clearly brought you the gospel. But the Lord had a specific meeting in Samaria with this particular woman. Verse 5, so he, he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. As you look at verse 6, it's interesting because you, you look at the life of Christ. And in the life of Christ, he, he came to, to be about the Father's business. He came to to pour himself into ministering to the people, ministering to the gospel. Came to love the people, to share the love of Christ with the people who were there. There's times in our lives where we, we get weary, don't we? Times in our lives where we just get tired. Honestly, as, as, as I watch so many of you serve the Lord, you... you you grow weary sometimes. There's times where you're just tired. There's times for me where, honestly, like I, I look and I just think, like, okay, how many hours is it 
until Sunday morning? <laughs> Jonathan said, today's Friday, yesterday. And I said, no, it's Saturday. I said, I wish it was Friday. He said, why would you wish it was Friday? I said, because then I'd have another day. I would have another day, Jonathan. He's like, why don't you have someone preach half the sermon and you preach the other half? <laughs> so that's not a bad idea, Jonathan, right now. Vacation Bible School was just amazing last week as we watched the kids just be ministered to, to, just to be on campus, hearing the kids sing and just watching their faces, hearing the laughter. I just sat there just listening to it. But I assure you that there were some of you who grew weary by the end of the day, just tired. I mean, just pouring yourself into those kids. And I heard from some that they said they just went home and fell asleep immediately. And as you serve the Lord, there's times where we just grow weary. You see that with with the Apostle Paul, where he says in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2.8, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. We just gave you our lives. We gave you every part of who we were, because you've become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, Remember our labor and our toil. We labored night and day. I look, I just, I pray that that would be where our hearts are. That there's times where we recognize I need to go on retreat and retreat and just retreat and be with the Lord. And there's other times where we look and say, let's just labor. Let's labor. Let's serve one another. Let's care for one another. Let's, Let's minister the gospel. Let's stay up late discipling and just encouraging. Let's be in prayer early in the morning. Let's be in a place where we're serving together. Let's just let's labor and, and toil night and day for one another because we've become dear to one another. From there we look in verse 7. It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. A woman of Samaria. Now you know that we just got through in chapter 3 looking at the life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one in in whom he was a Pharisee. Not only a Pharisee, but but a a member of the Sanhedrin. He was wealthy. He was someone that everybody would esteem. He was someone that they would look upon him saying, you keep the law in its entirety. He's someone who came to Jesus specifically. Um, And... Yeah, with this woman in Samaria, we see something different. She's a woman. Someone who, who's from this area of Samaria, an area in which the Jews would never spend time with the Samaritans. Not, not only that, but she'd be someone who was poor. Coming to, to this well, and, and she's been married five times. The, the man that she's living with is not her husband. She's someone who, you put the, the woman in Samaria and, and you put Nicodemus in the same room and you know what, they're, they're probably not going to talk all that much. They're probably not going to talk at all. I and mean, as far as the way society looks at these two, it's just radically different, polar opposites. And you know, yet you know what? Nicodemus needed to be born again. He needed to be born again. I mean, he came to Jesus, and Jesus' response is, you must be born again. You may look at yourself and say, I, I keep the law in its entirety, and I'm, I'm part of the Sanhedrin. I'm a Pharisee. 
I know the law. I have it memorized in my mind. I know scripture. I do good things. But Jesus is looking at him saying, you must be born again. You you, you may be someone here this morning and and you feel like you lived a pretty good life. You feel like you've done pretty well. You look and you see yourself and you compare yourself to other people and you say, I'm better than most. But God would say to you this morning, you must be born again. You also might be like the woman from Samaria. You might be here this morning and just saying like, man, if anybody knew me, if, any, if anybody knew like what I've done, if anybody had any idea, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. I mean, in her mind, she, she, she maybe got married the first time and just thought it was going to be the most incredible marriage. And maybe he died. We're not told. We, we don't know. But maybe she left him. I mean, the, the idea that all five of her husbands had died, um, probably not likely. In, in fact, it's, it's not mentioned at all. She's living with somebody who is not her husband. She's in sin at that particular moment. But more than likely, she's just gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. More than likely, she looked and wanted to find joy, wanted to find happiness, and thought, like, I can find it in a guy. I can find it in a guy. I can find it in that relationship. How many, how many people do that? You know, you look and you see where I mean, they, they can't even be happy unless they just feel like somebody loves them and they have some kind of attention from somebody. And maybe that was her. Maybe she's just looking and saying, like, no, I'm, I'm done here. Or maybe he was terrible towards her and she left. And, but divorce was something that would have been ugly in any of these cultures. And they would have looked and she got married again. And then that didn't work out and she got married again. But clearly from our text, nobody knows that it doesn't appear that people know that she's been married five times and that she's living with someone who's not her husband. Something that she didn't want people to know. But you might be that person this morning. And you look, and both of these people are in desperate need of Christ. Both of these people are in desperate need of the gospel. You could be someone who thinks that you're okay, and yet you have no idea that you're in desperate need of grace. And you may be someone that's just covered in sin, but to the same degree, you're in desperate need of grace. Let's look here, and we see this incredible contrast between Nicodemus and the woman here in Samaria. And Jesus says to, him, give, says to her, give me a drink. Jesus approaches her. Jesus is there by the well, and men of that were Jews, would never, would never speak to a Samaritan woman. But what does Jesus do? He pursues her. He goes after her. He goes towards her and says, give me a drink. Well, this surprises her. We're told that the disciples were gone. They'd gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria says to him, how is it that you... Being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They hated each other. The Samaritans were, were, were those that, that, when the captivity took place, there were some Jews that stayed behind. Not all of them went, whether they were hiding or whatever else. Some of them stayed behind. They intermarried, intermarried with with those that were unbelievers there, and you have this whole group of people referred to as the Samaritans. Um, when the Jews came back, they went to build the temple, and the Samaritans asked to 
to, to help build the temple, and the Jews said no. And so the Samaritans hated the Jews even more, and the Jews hated the Samaritans even more. And the, Jew, the Samaritans went and built their own temple in Gerizim, and, and the, the Jews built their temple in Jerusalem. And there was just this incredible hatred for one another in that region. This is all things that had taken place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. So she says, how is it that you're coming to me? How is it that you're talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're going to drink from something that is the same cup that I would drink from? I think this needs to be noted as far as looking at the heart of Christ. It didn't matter what her background was and it didn't matter what her race was. Jesus was going specifically to reach her. Okay, I love the idea of, of Paul Miyake just saying, I'm a chemical engineering degree. Uh, I figure that wasn't easy to get. Um, I don't have that same degree, so I don't know. It might have been a piece of cake, but it sounds hard. And looking and just saying, like, Middle East. I want to go to the Middle East. Send me to the Middle East, somewhere to the Middle East. I just want to proclaim the gospel to Muslims. Well, I want to proclaim the gospel to Muslims. I want to go someplace and just minister to them. Pray that that would be our hearts all the way across the board, that we would look at people and say, you know what, we're not the same. You, you may be much, much older. Yet Frank Rabinovich just shared the gospel this last week to his dad, who I think is 95 95 years old, Jewish man from the time that he was young, having nothing, wanting nothing to do with the gospel, and just last week proclaimed Christ as his Savior. 95 years old, 95 years old. And he looked and, absolutely, that's praiseworthy. But there may be times that we're around people that we're just different than, different age. Different race, um, different social status, be, being in, in a place where um, you have different education, uh, someone maybe you wouldn't have been friends with in high school. And yet, God calls us to love all people. I remember. As a youth pastor, we had, I don't know, probably 30-some pregnant teens that would come to our youth ministry. And sometimes it was less, but it was somewhere between probably 10 and 20-some or 30 teens that were all pregnant would come as a part of a, a home that was nearby. And they would all come to the youth ministry every week. And I... I I watched our kids just love them. Just love them. Ministering to the gospel to these girls, they were so excited every week to come. And I thought, I think of some of the parents that were there that said, I don't, I don't want my kids coming to youth ministry anymore. So why? Because, like, you guys just let them come. Like, it's no big deal. And, and, and just pretending like that's okay. I don't want my kids around that. And I remember just thinking like, oh, you're so broken. Just your way of thinking. 
Like, if there's anybody that we should be ministering to, it's someone that's, that is in a different place, someone that's, that has a harder circumstance, someone that, that maybe is different, we get to minister the gospel to them? And we just pour the gospel to them? There's a possibility of, of someone struggling with other kinds of sin, whether it be drug addiction or homosexuality or, or whatever it is, and it, it maybe it's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay away from that. God, God help us to look and to see people who are different, people who are sinners, people who maybe others would look at and say, like, yeah, I'm not going to be a part of that. And be those who proclaim the gospel. Share the gospel with them. Minister the gospel to them. Have hearts that desire to go into prisons or to go wherever it is and to proclaim the gospel. We see the Lord doing that where he goes to her, approaches her, give me a drink. Well, Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. How is it that you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if, if you understood the gift of God, the gospel, if you understood who it is that says to you, give me a drink. He's the creator of this universe. He is love personified in Christ. Perfect love, full of grace. He knows all things. He, he's the one who, who designed everything that exists. And he's from beginning to end. He has always existed and he always will exist. And he's before her saying, give me a drink. Why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. If you only knew who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Living water. We find this over and over again in Scripture, this idea of living water. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Revelation 7, 16. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21, 5. Behold, I make all things new. And then he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Anybody who thirsts, I'll give you the fountain of living waters. I'll make it so that you have no desire for anything ever again. This is, you must be born again. To be born again is to have living waters given to us. That that is where we're at as believers. You you think about those that are just thirsting and they're trying to find satisfaction in something. They're just looking, what is it that can make me happy? And they go through money. Maybe money will make me happy. No, that doesn't make me happy. Maybe just a relationship will make me happy. And no, that doesn't make me happy. Maybe if I I get to a place where I get married or if I have kids or, or... if, if my kids leave the house or if I can retire or whatever it is, maybe I'll be happy then. And you just see just a life of no, no, no. You see it in Jeremiah 2.13 where he says, 
God says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. And God says, that's what they've done. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they're, they have these broken cisterns, and they keep trying to satisfy themselves with just stuff and people and pride and whatever it is, but it will never satisfy. And Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman and just says, if you would just drink from me, you'd never thirst again. You would have, if you just asked me, I'd give you living waters and you would, you would never thirst again. You look at that, that is the gospel. I mean, you think of it like we will spend eternity with him. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more pain. All those things are gone. We've been made new creations in Christ. We behold him in his glory. You're not going to be in heaven just going, oh, well, I wish things were different. I mean, God tells us you enter into the joy of the Lord. There's nothing more that you could ever be added to that. It is as good as it could ever possibly be. You will never desire or want anything for all eternity as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it is living waters in which causes you never to thirst again. You are born again and you are saved for all eternity. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where where do you get that living water? Um, she kind of is like Nicodemus. How do I enter my mother's womb a second time? She's saying, you got this water, but you got nothing to draw from the well. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Are you greater than him? You're making a bold statement that you're going to give me living waters. Are you better and greater than Jacob? If she only knew who it was that was talking with her. Jesus answers and says to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that's, that's there in this well, it'll make you thirst again, but the one that I give you will make you never thirst again. Think, think about that. You, you may be sitting here this morning as an unbeliever. Think about it. Your sins can be removed from you. Every one of them. Every last one of them. It can be replaced with the righteousness of Christ. All of his righteousness, clothed with robes of righteousness. You can go from being dead in your sins to be made alive in Christ. You, you could be going from being blind to being able to see. You could be going from a direction of being under the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God to being in the place of, this is my beloved son. This is my child. This is my bride. You could be in a place of radical contrast to where you will never, ever thirst again. Water that just bursts forth into everlasting life. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I want the water. You have living water? I just, I just walked a long way to get here to this well. Can, can you give me that water that makes it so I never have to thirst ever again? Jesus responds by saying, go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. Now, you, you look at that and you may think, why did he say that? Because he knew exactly what was going on in her life and in her heart. Go call your husband. The woman answers and says, I have no husband. I don't have a husband. 
Go call your husband. Why would Jesus say that? Because part of receiving this fountain of living waters is also the acknowledgement of your guilt. You, you, you have to be able to see that you're a sinner. You, you look at it, it we, we must present the law to be able to say, God says this, you shall have no other gods before him. God says this, you shall not steal. God says this, you shall not commit adultery. God says this, you should not lie. I mean, you go through, God says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this is the first commandment, the second's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God God says that. God says to love him with everything. And I'll tell you, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you have failed miserably. If that's the greatest commandment, you have failed miserably, just like all of us have, of loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all your strength. You failed miserably, and you have failed miserably of loving your neighbor as yourself, always doing exactly what you would want for yourself towards everybody who is around you, your neighbors. All of us have sinned. Every one of us. I mean, you look through in, in Scripture, and it goes through and, and tells us, Don't, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And you might hear that and say, like, okay, so that's me. I, I, I was a fornicator. I, I, I lived with someone before I got married, and I was in, intimate with someone before I got married. Or... I'm, I've been an idolater. I, all I used to think about was my car. All I used to think about was this other thing. Or I used to just have all of these things that were higher than God in my life. Or I was an adulterer. I, I committed adultery. I did that. Or I, I was a homosexual. I struggled with homosexuality. I, I did those things. Or I stole something. Or, or I was coveting other people's things. Or I was a drunk. Or going on and on and on. And you, look, you may look and say, like, that was me. And this is where God says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. It's critical that we look at ourselves just like Jesus says, go call your husband. Because there were some that were fornicators, and there were some that were adulterers, and there were some that were homosexuals, and there were some that were thieves, and there were some that coveted stuff, and there were some that were idolaters. There were some that had all of these things. And God would come to your life and, and look at you this morning and say, and go do this. And you would look and say, like, he knows. Like, he knows. You, you look in, in Hebrews three or 4.13, and there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of, whom, of, of him to whom we must give account. You're all exposed. God can see all of it to where he says to her, call your husband. She says, I have no husband. I don't have a husband. You notice her response? It's three words. Maybe it's just in the Greek. I, have, I don't have a husband. I don't have one. She stops talking there. She's been pretty talkative this whole time. Now she's responds, I don't have a husband. That's usually our response when we're faced with our sin. You may look and say, I'm not that bad. Oh, Yeah. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Did you pay your taxes in its entire, their entire all, all the time? I, there's things I used to be free from. Like I used to think like, oh, order it from this side. You don't have to pay taxes. And then I married a CPA and she says, no, you actually still do. 
And that is number A4. She knows exactly where it's at, you know? And I'm like, oh, don't order from that site anymore. You go and, and do you always pay your taxes? Do you always do everything right? And I, I pray that, that you look and just say like, okay, like I'm, I'm in need. I'm in desperate need. He knows. He knows. For you've had five husbands. Now notice Jesus begins by saying, you've well said I have no husband. You didn't lie about that. You don't have a husband right now. But you've had five. And the one in whom you, have, you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. You lied about kind of the rest because all of it was a lie in your heart when you said, I don't have a husband. But you, you told the truth about the beginning and you told the truth about the end. But you're living with someone right now that's not your husband. He knows everything about her. The woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> you know this and you shouldn't know this. You're a prophet. Now notice she kind of just shifts. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. I don't know why she responds with that. But have you ever witnessed to somebody and you just proclaim the gospel and their response is, okay, yeah, but what about like all the other religions? There's all these other religions. What about that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, but maybe she's looking and saying, you guys worship in Jerusalem and we're on Mount Gerizim. Which one are we supposed to be worshiping at? But Jesus goes right to the heart of it. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. I think this is interesting because I think she comes to salvation. You look, there is going to come a time where you, woman of Samaria, it's not going to be in Jerusalem and it's not going to be on that mountain that you're going to worship. I mean, it's a short time after this in which the temple in Jerusalem is totally destroyed in AD 70. So you look at this and he says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeking such to worship him. It's not about what temple you're in. It's are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth? In spirit and in truth. Goes from there and says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Must. They must. And that would go for all of us as well. You, you, you hear people saying, well, I, I worship God like in my own kind of way. I worship him. In my... And God just says, if it's not in truth, it's not worship. I mean, you can say that you worship and you can be fervent in your worship, but if you're not worshiping Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the, third, the, the, the second person in the Trinity, the one in, in whom has died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that you could be saved, the one and only true God, you're not worshiping according to truth. It doesn't matter how fervently you worship creation. It's not according to the truth that you find in Scripture. You must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, meaning it needs to be from your heart. We came in here and we sang songs. And you maybe knew some of the words to some of the songs and you sang it. But there's a difference between singing a song and worship. 
There's a difference between having words come out of your mouth and having it being worshiping him in spirit and in truth with all that is within you. You see, in Philippians 3.3, where it says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. Part of worshiping him in spirit and in truth is we worship God, and as we worship him, there's no confidence in our flesh. There's no confidence in our own abilities or what we could do or what we can offer him. We're just empty-handed, and we're there just praising him with all that is within us. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They, they act like it's true, but God says it's just it's with their mouth. It's not, it's not with their heart. It's just not with their heart. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Radical. There's one who's coming. It's Messiah. We've all been looking forward to it. There was 300 prophecies that were given throughout the Old Testament that were pointing to the Messiah who was to come. We've all been looking to it. And when you go through those 300 prophecies, every last one of them is pointing to Christ and he fulfills every one of them. Every one of them. I mean, you go through the detail of it, every single one of them, where he was born, what he would be called, how he would die, the way that he would die, who he would heal, how he would be buried, all of it, how he would be crucified, All of the details, every part of it is given. 300 prophecies that are given, at least, that point towards Christ. And you look at it, and she says, we're looking. I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. I who speak to you am he. I'm Messiah. I'm Christ. At this point, the disciples came. They marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? But they're looking at it going, why are you talking with her? In their hearts, why is he doing this? But the woman just leaves her water pot. She didn't even care. I don't care about my water pot. I came for water. I don't care about my water pot anymore. I'm going to leave my water pot. And she went her way into the city and she sees men and she says, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come and see him. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I know that Christ is our Messiah. I know as well as, let's say, the vast majority of the people who are here this morning, you know that he's the Messiah, don't you? You look, you worship him with all that is within you. You come and you sing songs and your songs are just heartfelt because you look and you say, he's forgiven me, he's redeemed me, he's paid the price for me, he took my sins upon himself, he gives me his righteousness, he's given me life and that abundantly, he's changed everything for me, he is the Messiah, he is the one in whom was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world and all of the Old Testament was pointing ahead to him to the very day that he would come and as far as on Palm Sunday the very day it's recorded you go through and you look at it all it's all pointing to Christ and there's full confidence that he is your savior full confidence that he's your savior just like Jesus when he 
came to us and by the sweetness of this Holy Spirit, I'm here talking with you. I'm him. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. What an incredible thing. He doesn't respond to her by saying, you've had five husbands and now the guy that you're living with is not your husband. Go clean up your act and then come back. He didn't say that at all. It's just calm. Calm. I'll give you living water that will, a fountain of living waters that will pour forth into everlasting life. Just calm. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who thirsts come. And you may be here this morning and you're just thirsting. You're thirsting for something. I'll tell you, it is Christ and it is him, our Savior, our Messiah, our King, our God, our Bridegroom. The one in whom takes our sin away and gives us his righteousness. Gives us purpose in living and makes it so that we get to spend all eternity with him. He gives us his Holy Spirit to just radically regenerate us, change us, cause us to be born again. He does it all. And we look at it and, oh, the woman in the well, that's me. And that was you. He saved us. And that offer of salvation goes forth. That whosoever would believe in him, whosoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Love the gospel. There's not one person in the sanctuary that is too sinful for Christ's blood to cause you to be totally forgiven of all your sins. Radical. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for a story like this, just in contrast to Nicodemus and seeing that he must be born again. But likewise, this woman, she needed to have living water. She needed the gospel. She needed to be changed. She needed you to give her life and you to give her everlasting life. And so do we. We need that. We need that this morning. Lord, put such a burden in our heart to go forth and to proclaim this gospel, Lord to maybe people who are the least likely for us to proclaim the gospel to. Likewise, Lord, just as you had to go to Samaria, you had to go there, because there was a woman who had five husbands and was living with someone who wasn't her husband that you had to meet with. You had to meet with her. Likewise, very well on this morning, you came to Reverence Bible Church, Lord, with this particular text, with this particular message, because you had to meet with one specific person. Oh, Lord, let them hear your still small voice and respond by your grace to the gospel. They may their lives be just radically transformed. May they leave their water pots here and go and tell of the one who met them here on this day to save them. Your kindness, Lord, does that over and over and over again. It does that. May today be the day of salvation for that particular person you brought into our church. And as saints those who have already professed you as our Lord and as our Savior, may we respond properly now, which is heartfelt worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.